Welcome, friends, to episode 175 of Color of Magic, your Magic and Gaming podcast, where we talk about all types of issues that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. If you're new here, or even if you're not, I'm still your host, Daquan Watson, and I've got my main man, riding shotgun, as always, Brian Allen. How's it going? Pretty good. You actually are starting to get uh, normal sunlight and 70 degree temperatures, so bonus, man. maybe... You said that like you had to convince yourself it was good. <laughs> you must have been having a rough week this week. Uh, no, not, really not too bad. Just but that's good. That's good. Yeah, man, it, it's it actually snowed here randomly. And it wasn't even like below freezing. It was like 35 or 37 degrees. But it was kind of like snowy or I mean, rainy. And it just sort of turned to snow for overnight. Not a lot, maybe like a half inch, you know, enough to cover the ground. So it didn't do anything bad, but it was just weird. You know, it was just uh, like on the 13th, just kind of crazy. But other than that, no, it's been sunny, been nice. We're getting back to what constitutes some normal weather. And uh, maybe we will be getting to some spring weather soon and can do some stuff outside. Did anybody see if uh, Puxatani Phil saw his, his shadow or not? I, re- I remember reading it and I just immediately deleted from my memory bank. So Man, no I don't know. That, that type of stuff is like, I, I get that it's tradition, you know, and we just do it because whatever. But gosh damn, it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, we're going to go out and just because whichever way a, a, a gopher, a groundhog, like, decides to look when he comes out of a hole, we're like, well, he didn't see a shadow. Awesome. <laughs> like, it's so, so awkward to me. And and what's crazy to me is that it gets so much coverage. Like every news story ha- or news station has a camera out there. Yeah. Like there's dudes dressed like old school from their like the thirties or something. Like I, it's, it's a crazy production. I mean, I'm not going to fault anybody. If you like it and you're into it and you think it's cute, whatever, you're like, cool. It's harmless. You know, go for it. I yeah, just find it pretty wild. Wear a top hat, if nothing else. Yeah, exactly. I I don't get. I don't it. think anybody really. Or I don't say anybody. I don't, I don't think the majority of people think that the groundhog has anything to do with winter. It's like it's just fun. Especially yeah. if, you, if you don't have a news story that day. <laughs> Slow news day. Yep. Now that being said, I will still watch the movie Groundhog's Day if it's on. I I do still yeah. enjoy that. Because just on top of TV news, it always frustrates me seeing those poor reporters standing out there in a blizzard. Like, yeah, we get it. It's cold. God, let them come inside or, or something. Yeah, for sure. For sure. They definitely don't need to be out there. Or, or when they're stand, when there's been some kind of crime and they're standing outside the police department at 10 p.m. You know they haven't talked to anybody. The PR person leaves at 5 yeah, those are always kind of dumb too. I mean, that's and right the, up there when when and there's hurricane weather and you got somebody just standing with rain just pelting them in the face and yeah. you're just like, "Bruh, what are we doing?" <laughs> like, we know there's a hurricane coming. Like, just just go. Stop <laughs> endangering people. For real. We've all seen the we've seen the wind at this point. It's like, you know, and of course now I guess they're going to keep doing it because you see some poor person almost getting blown into the ocean so now it blows up on social media so i guess that's their excuse to keep doing it now uh there's probably some truth to that sadly but yeah before we get into the rest of the show you need to check out our sponsor over at cardsphere.com we tell you all the time they're great people they support lots of great people but most importantly 
you can buy, sell, trade Magic cards on their website. And you can do it at the price you want. Literally. Like, there's a $20 card, and maybe you don't think it's worth $20, but you're willing to pay like $14, $15. You can put that in there and see if somebody will do business with you at that price. It's actually that simple. Go check them out over at Cardsphere.com. And then if you want to support the show directly, you can go over to Patreon.com slash Color Magic for just as little as two bucks. You can help us out. Keep the lights on. Feed my pets. Feed his kids. You know. And you can get a shout out just like Jonathan Zybel. So thank you so much for supporting the show. And finally, you can go over to ColorofMTG.com slash shop if you want to get some merchandise with our likenesses on it and support us. But now that brings us to our weekly soapbox. And I got to tell you, man, like I, I have some projects I'm I'm working on, some people I'm talking to to work with that I, I can't mention yet without spoiling some stuff. But one of them requires me to get a passport. And partly because I got to go to Canada, mainly because I got to go to Canada. But had I been able to drive, had they been on the western side of Canada, I wouldn't have needed one because I have an enhanced driver's license. I could just cross the border in a car. No big deal. But since it's on the other side of Canada, uh, which would probably be like, I don't know, some 25, 30 hours of driving, I'm going to try to fly. So I got to get a passport. But as it turns out, man, getting a passport stuff. Like now, this is going to be the first time I've had a passport to be, I guess, like a fully 100% worldwide functioning adult. So that's kind of cool. But they had to know, like, where your father or mother was born. Like, I'm like, do I know the city my father was born in? Like, I think I know. <laughs> like, I'm going to fill this out and hope they don't yell at me thinking I'm a terrorist. Like, I don't, I don't know what's happening right now. But there was, like, so many things that, you know, if... You've been previously married or divorced or whatever. You have to know all those dates. You got to put that in. You got to like there was just a bunch of little stuff. And I was like, wow, OK. And then you had to have copies of multiple things you were submitting. And you had to have two pictures that they could use for your your passport photo. But you couldn't smile in them. Oh, I guess you could smile, but you couldn't show teeth. Like there was all these like weird things i'm like what why can i what happens if you show teeth like what what is this like it's just the weirdest sequence you're aggressive they gotta put you down yeah i don't know like there were so many little things like i had to reread everything to make sure because you know like and it's kind of expensive so i wanted to make sure i'm doing everything right like checking all the boxes as it turns out you can go to like walgreens and they take passport photos so the people there already know, like, yeah, you want this. You don't want a shadow in the background. You don't want whatever. Like, they already know all the things. So that was pretty nice. You could pay them. I think it was like 16 bucks or something. And they take the pictures for you. So that was kind of nice. But then I got a thing back last week because I paid for express shipping or whatever to make sure I could have it as quick as possible. So if there was an issue, like I could get it sorted out faster. Turns out there was. They were asking for. They, well, actually, they said my birth certificate doesn't work, which is weird because the office I went to checked my birth certificate and they were like, yeah, this is exactly what we need. So then like the federal office is telling me like, no, nope, you need a different birth certificate. So that was weird. So I'm like, OK, I had to contact the state of Texas because I'm no longer in Texas. Figure out how to get all that, get it to me, whatever. And the thing they're telling me I need to have to have a passport, I think is the same thing I already had. 
So I'm waiting in the mail now to see what they send me. So then I could forward that to the government to be like, look, this is what they gave me, man. I don't know how else I get one, which is also weird because it also means they've already verified all my other information. And that's the only thing that's not verified so far. And my lady also was getting stuff done and her stuff's verified. So it's like if I was lying with my birth certificate, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So I don't know. But anyway, yeah, passports, man, they're hell. It's a lot of work. Uh, if you're going to get one, double check all your boxes, dot your I's, cross your T's, all that good stuff. Because none of it's difficult. It's just a lot of little things you have to know and get right. You know, a bunch of copies for everything. And setting up, even setting up the meetings is tough because apparently there's a lot of people constantly trying to talk to the passport offices. So that's a thing. So yeah, do do your research. If you're planning on taking a trip, let's say even... I don't know, later this year and say like October, I would just start doing the passport work now. So if there is any issue, you can have it all squared away by July or August and be in the clear because it's it's a little bit of a process. But hopefully I'll get this stuff in. It'll be back by the time I get back from my trip this weekend and I can start moving forward on it. But we'll see. We'll see. It'd be interesting. But anyway, what do you got, Brian? I was today years old when I learned that uh, Texas apparently does not own the land to several of its parks, including Fairfield Lake State Park uh, close to Dallas. And so the guy that uh, owns it has decided, you know what? He ain't making enough money with it being a park. He sold it to a developer and they are going to build a high-end gated community. And I mean soon. Like the news story came out today. This park will be closed. I believe February 28th. So if you want to go to the park, uh, get your butt over there because it ain't going to be a park very much longer. That, just, I had no idea that was, just I always assumed that if it's a state park that the state owns it and it's, in theory, always going to be a park. I guess I should have known better than that. I've seen enough stuff in Texas to... to Dude, you, you know, I've heard about that in a few places. So it may not be just Texas, but I know for a fact, or at least I understand this to be fact. It may not be. I haven't double checked it. But years ago, for those who don't know about Texas, like if you're driving through Austin, it can just get really congested. So even this to try to alleviate that city of Austin has an upper and lower level on their main on I-35 right through town. But even that can get congested. So they ended up making this highway that goes from the north side of Austin all the way around the city down to, well, you can pretty much drive it close to San Antonio, if I remember right. But that isn't even maintained and run by the state. That's a private company. And it might even be a toll road. But ultimately, they kept raising the speed limit, this private company, because cops were trying to police it because people were, you know, speeding on it because it's an open road to get around town. So I last I saw it, I think it was like 85 miles an hour you could drive as just the posted speed limit on that road. But part of that reason is, from what I understand, is it's also not owned by the state. Wow, that is wild. And the thing with parks is, uh, as you might imagine, during the pandemic, uh, park visitation skyrocketed because people were looking for stuff to do where you could be outside and get the heck away from people. So uh, park visitation really started going up during the pandemic. And apparently it's still, even you know, as we are entering, uh, I guess, Less pandemic y phase, park visitorship is still going up. I uh, actually had in 2021 apparently a record number of visitors, almost 10 million, 
yet uh, we have, we're obviously just lost the 2400 acre park. There's nothing currently on the books to prevent them from heading, although they've, this kind of hit everybody as a little bit of a shock. So they said they're, they think hopefully this session they'll put something on paper and try to get some kind of bill to make sure this doesn't continue to happen throughout the state. But as of right now, there is nothing stopping anybody that owns the land that the parks ever say, hey, uh, <laughs> who wants to build a new shopping mall or some condos or what, yeah, what have you? That's a tough one. You know, I I get why you still see the visitation for parks going up because just like you said, people just got into a habit, you know, where people, I mean, we saw it a lot in the disc golf community, actually, because it was one of the few activities that people could still do that was like an exercise competitive, got you an excuse to go to the parks or whatever. And you were outside and you didn't have to be around people. So that sport got a big boost during the pandemic. And you're still seeing that growth afterwards because now people are like, oh, well, now I just like going outside and I already own these the equipment. I might as well go play more. Right. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that people are going out and about. That's tough, though. I, I hope they get that sorted out for y'all because that's that sucks. Right. Even more so that it's just going to be high end. You know, so yeah. it's not even like the majority of people that were going to the park could even experience it or use what it's being turned into. Right. Golf courses, extremely high end, gated stuff. It just, you know, uh, the, the, supposedly the, the whole theory behind, you know, snatching land is, hey, you know, eminent domain is for the best use for the most people, which is, that's, I guess that's government. This isn't government. This is, you know, private developer buying it. But still, it's, it's really kind of sad. It takes it already. Does it have enough state parkland considering how many people live here and how big, for example, we are, I think, 35th in the nation for state park acreage per capita and one of the biggest states. Yeah. It makes no sense. Well, a lot of the land in Texas is like ranch and farmland, sadly. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. (laughs) But, you know, you're not like Montana where you have more cows than people. So there's that. But you know what? Let's get into some other stuff and let's talk about what we learned this week. Because I think we both have some pretty interesting things that are worth talking about. All right. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns came and unfortunately went. And it sounds like most of, most of y'all did not play it. I did because, hey, Marvel game. But apparently it's pretty a critical success but a commercial failure. And I think part of that is the release. We were talking about this uh, before the show and Daquan didn't even realize the game was out. So I guess that kind of speaks to the level of advertising they did or didn't do. But anytime, you know, you have a Marvel comics themed game done by a big budget developer and it doesn't hit. Yeah. You, you feel like something, something somewhere has gone badly wrong, especially because the game, the game was, as I said, a critical success. I played it. Loved it. I'm on my second playthrough right now. And just so definitely it, it's on sale. I think there's a demo now on PlayStation because again, they're trying to get this game into the hands of people. They think if you'll if you'll play it, you might like it. And just kind of in terms of genre, it's a little it, it combines a lot of things. It's got some XCOM, it's card based. So if you like Slay the Spire, you'd probably enjoy this. And also there's kind of some Fire emblemish team building elementary, you know, to make your team strong. You can you and Ghost Rider can go watch a movie, you know, or go play a video game together or what. And then, of course, each hero has a different activity that you'll that they like. So you got to figure out 
who likes what, and also you can get them. So there's a lot going on there. And to me, one of the best superhero games I've played in probably the past five or six years, you know, they put out annually probably nine, 10 superhero games. This one is definitely something that's different. And again, if you haven't tried it, but you like, you'll definitely like strategy. You like comic book superheroes at all. I would urge you to give it a try. You catch it on sale somewhere, or at least play the demo, see what you think about it. Yeah, I I remember seeing the ad when they first like were like, "Hey, this game's coming, and we're working on this thing," but I never even saw a release date attached to it. So I just never knew. Even like I just assumed it was still in development. Like, <laughs> I guess that happened with a lot of people, or maybe they just didn't kind of know what really the genre, or maybe they thought it was you know they thought it was totally XCOM, and XCOM is it has a reputation for being. One of those games that, you know, it'll kick your butt. Yeah, I guess that's fair, too, right? If it looks too much like one of the other ones, then maybe it just scared people off. I hadn't really thought about that, but, I mean, that's possible. Yeah. But there definitely is. We've talked about this. This is one of the games. It has a story difficulty if you just want to see what happens, you know, and you don't want to get beat down. We've talked about that's a thing, especially with a property like Marvel, for people that are going to want to see the story. Definitely a game like this should have a difficulty, and this one does. So if that's what you're worried about, hey, you can they got a difficulty, hey, experience the story. Don't get don't get your face kicked in as as much as you would on another difficulty level. You know, though, some of this too is kind of like the downfall of just being a big dominant brand with a lot of things coming around or out around your property. Yeah. Because there's been so much Marvel stuff. You know, we're talking about cartoons, action figures. Yeah. You know, they've been announcing the new movies, their stuff. Hell, I've been seeing the new movie ads because, like, Ant Man, I think, is out this week or next week. Yep. There's, uh, we've been talking about the the new, uh, what you call Deadpool. You know, like, there's, there's tons of stuff, right? So, wouldn't surprise me if they even got lost in some of their own messaging. Yeah. And also, I would say, you know, if you like some of the, the more uh, C-list characters, it really focuses on people like Ghost Rider, Blade, people that aren't at the, the case. This, uh, this last round haven't even had a movie yet in a lot of cases. And you know what else that's happening to a little bit is Star Wars. Yeah. Because they have multiple TV series and, you know, the movies, the recent movies just finished and whatever. So, like, I feel like there's a lot of that where you hear, like, an announcement of a Star Wars project coming. And then before you know it, you're like, oh, it's already on the streaming service. Right? Like, you, I didn't remember the middle where it actually was available. It's just like, oh, now I can just go watch it on Disney Plus or whatever. So, yeah, I feel like that's just becoming a thing. And to be fair, a large part of the entertainment space is kind of dominated by a handful of brands, it feels like, sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a little tough. I hope they figure it out, though, because if, I mean, from what little I'm hearing from people who got the test it and everything they've enjoyed it and said it was good so maybe it is worth checking out and one of the things you know that they said like because you know fire access games has a reputation for like especially like xcom they went in did almost a whole an expansion that almost is like xcom 3 so definitely their games have a long tail so they're hoping hoping maybe this one kind of has that similar thing or maybe hey one of the expansion packs really adds something incredibly different and maybe that picks people up and they, they've already put out the first dlc and you know that's a that's Deadpool, and for people that love Deadpool, hey, he's he's here now. That makes sense for DLC. That'll be a draw. Now, 
something else I wanted to talk about, just because it is a sad bit of tragedy that's been happening. But uh, if you've been on social media, it's kind of been hard to dodge news about the recent trail derailments and all that that's been going on. Uh, a couple of them are actually carrying hazardous chemicals, which some they had to burn off. By the way, for people to understand, like one of the particular chemicals has a boiling point that's very, very low. And that's one of the reasons they had to release the gas from the cars that still had it and and slowly burn them. Because if you got it out and it caught fire, it likely could have, from what my understanding is, they had talked about possibly blowing shrapnel up to a mile away. Oh, wow. And I had somebody ask me, like, is that an exaggeration? And sadly, I do remember when I was in Texas, uh, that little town west, if you remember, yeah. known for kolaches off the highway. Yeah. Uh, if you ever get to go to the check stop in west, totally worth it. But check spelled like the country, by the way. But there was a little uh, fertilizer. I say little. It was kind of a sizable fertilizer plant yeah. that was there. And it caught fire. And when that exploded... There, I remember seeing train tracks that were at least, I would say, 800 yards away, and they were partially bent. We were able to hear it, and we're, you know, just, uh, we're south of Dallas, and so it's easily more than an hour away from us, and we heard the explosion almost like it was in the backyard. Yeah, and to put in perspective, that chemical is more easily flammable than that fertilizer was. So... Is it possible it could have blown shrapnel up to a mile? Absolutely. Yeah. Like there was, we were at least a half mile with the tracks I saw. And it was like, why are these bent up? And they were like, oh yeah, the explosion. (laughs) So, and you know, there was like windows shattered even further away or whatever. So it it was powerful. So yeah, when you see that, that, that is a thing. That being said, I did a little bit of a deep dive on some things. And there was a bit of a number that... I was stunned with and kind of comes back to there are some things that are so common. We just choose to ignore them after a point. And this is one of those things that between, I believe it was 1991 and 2022. So roughly 30 years. We in the U S average about 4.5 train derailments a day. That's ridiculous. And like you said, if you don't have, you know, any, if you don't encounter trains every day, it's really, you know, other than getting things delivered from them, most people don't realize how much of a role trains play in our everyday life. I mean, I know a little bit about this because one of originally from Shreveport and one of Shreveport's biggest employers is Kansas City Southern Railroad. So yeah. well, there you go. Yeah, and there's some near me, you know, where we live. There's a couple of different trains that come through, but I never considered like I'd seen some trains off the tracks, or I'd seen them making adjustments to them. But I never, you know, I just thought, okay, that's just what somebody's doing something to a train. Apparently, no. It, at least four times a day, average, that just happens somewhere in the U.S. Yeah. Now, and some obviously also, are more drastic than others. Some are just, you know, something pops off the rails and the yeah. train stalled till they get it back on or whatever. But yeah, it's it's fairly common. And they are often carrying something, you know, something hazardous. Yeah. But isn't that crazy to think about? Like, and I'm not going to get too deep into the whole like unions and politics, whatever. But 
when you see all these people saying like, no, we need to change something. And we're like, yeah, whatever. It's probably not that bad. No, it apparently is like, yeah, four to five times a day. This is happening. And there's workers going, bruh, we need to do something. We're tired of dealing with these trains falling off the and track. Then, and as you said, most people, you know, aren't aware of it because they don't really have any day-to-day interaction with trains unless maybe they you know unless you live in a major city and perhaps you take the trans public transportation there's a lot of places where that still isn't a thing it's crazy though right because you think about like i don't know there's some couple thousand planes in the air every day right yeah and no accidents so when you think about it like that and you think about trains if somebody would have asked me i would have been like i don't know that probably happens like eight or ten times a year Right. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been my guess. I would have had no clue. Like, seriously, if this was multiple choice, I would have went like five times is way too many. Yeah. Like a day? No chance. Right? Like, like yeah, who's going to pick that? a year. There's no way. Yeah. Like, no way. But yeah, I think between the two, the 30 year period or something, it was like whatever the number was, like 17,000 and change or something, that number of times that it happened. Like, it, it's crazy. Just nuts that that's a real thing. Like, it, it's so hard to process that that's real. Right. Reminds, <laughs> it reminds me of the line from Broken Arrow where somebody says, what's a broken arrow? That's code for when we lose a nuclear weapon. And the guy says, I don't know what's more alarming. The fact that we've lost a nuclear weapon, the fact that it happened so often, we have a term for it. Exactly. But, you know, those things are existing out in the world that we don't ever think about, which is what made that whole thing wild to me. But yeah, anyway, that's just a fun fact to share with people. But uh, let's follow up on some news we had over the last few weeks. So there was the whole news that Hasbro was laying off whatever it was, like 10% of the workforce or something. And people were concerned because it kind of, we had talked about how it got conflated with Wizards of the Coast. And people were like, ah, Wizards made all this money and they're letting all these people go. Turns out that's actually not the case. And I was pretty sure of that, so I did some digging. I'm not going to give up my sources, but I talked to some people. And the best I could find is it sounds like up to 10 people were probably let go at Watsy proper. And between the people I spoke to, there was an understanding that some of those are probably not related to the layoffs as much as they are just performance and or potentially some recent things that happened at Wizards that led to some people probably need to be let go. So basically normal work stuff that happened to happen around some of the same time as the layoffs. So, you know, when Wizards, I think their total employment is around 500 people, 10 people being let go, that's kind of in the normal flow of business. Now, do you have anything on what happened with the Latin American team? Are they just kind of pulling back some of their international stuff? Uh, or? This is that's a little bit of a different one because I don't know all the details on that, but I can speak to the fact that some of the stuff that people are trying to attribute to that team and what they affected is not actually accurate. I can tell you that having been there, some of the stuff people talk about, like, well, Wizard was already not supporting them and we South America was getting their product late and this, that and the other has nothing to do with that team. Like, if anything, it probably has more to do with customs and local government. Like, I was even remember I was fielding conversations because people were upset that they were getting product that had been open. Like, the packs weren't open, but the seal had been busted on the boxes or on the cases sometimes. And 
we send everything sealed or we, you know, we, when I was working at Wizards, right, we send everything sealed. So my guess is they were just going through customs. People are opening stuff, but that also slows stuff down if they're checking all the stuff to get to the people. And without giving business details, there were multiple things that were tried to get stuff there even sooner. And sometimes still was still getting there a couple days late or, you know, the week after pre-release or whatever. So some of that didn't have to do with that team anyway. Now there's other stuff I was going to follow up on next week because there's some talk of like, I guess, Latin America. Some belief is, I guess, some of the fewer items are being translated into, I'm assuming like Portuguese and Spanish, but I hadn't heard that. So, I mean, I'm assuming it's true if they're saying it's true, but I need to follow up and see what that's about. But I think I, I want to say we talked about that one week. In, in one of maybe. Well, no, not that language. Because right? Korean and and, and uh, Russian, I believe, were being reduced to the number of items they were translating. But I don't remember hearing that about the Latin languages. So I, I definitely need to look into that. But from what I understand, it was described as the Latin America community team. And I don't know what the community team would directly be responsible for. I mean, I'm sure there's some level of growth, maybe social media. I would assume if there's some type of events there, they would be on site or helping in some way or whatever. But that's an assumption. You know, I don't really know. But I, it's possible that if they weren't doing much in South America at that point, they just didn't find the team as vital to business practices. I mean, it still sucks that people lost their job. Don't yeah, get me wrong. wrong. Like, I'm not rooting for that. But... I don't know if they were a vital part of operations because I, because again, I've, if they were the actual community team is that I've seen it talked about, like, I don't even know what that position or group does. Not saying they were irrelevant. I mean, I, I just don't know what they do. So they weren't at least mission critical for any of the other things I had to touch or interact with at the time. So no clue. And it sounds like they were probably just a handful of people. You know, because that's the other thing, too. A lot of the international teams aren't large groups of people. Yeah. Some of them are two to, like, eight folks. So it's a very small group. Some of them don't even have really, like, WOTC offices. They share offices with Hasbro folks because Hasbro is international and whatever. So in some countries, Hasbro is already set up. So they just have WOTC people in a Hasbro building. You know, so... I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff there, and it could be layered, and it could be that Hasbro said, "Hey, we already have people here. You can start using our people." Like there there's a lot of things. Without being on the inside, I can't speak to a totality of what this means because it could mean a lot of things just because of how the company's set up and layered. But I thought it was at least worth mentioning because you know people were panicking that Wizards was going to release ten percent of its employees and all this stuff. And I was like, eh, that's not what's happening." Totally not. Like, I I have it from trusted sources close to the issue <laughs> that that is, that is not the case. So hopefully we can help put some of that discussion to rest. But there is another magic thing coming up. This weekend, we've got Magic Con Philly, which I think is what we're calling these now, which... I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it's weird. Like, okay, Brian, do you do you like Magic Con more than Magic Fest? Uh, I mean, it, it, I guess it sounds more like a convention. A fest always makes it sound like a concert of some kind. But 
That's fair. I, I sort of liked the feel of Magic Fest. I don't know. It just felt maybe I don't know. Maybe I don't know why. I couldn't even tell you. Maybe it just it just felt better. I don't know what it is. I don't I don't have a good reason. But yeah, Magic Con. So they had Magic 30 in Vegas. And it sounds like the Magic Con Philly is going to be similar. They're going to have a bunch of vendors. There's going to be uh, some different speaking things. You know, they're going to have a stage set up for different presentations. There's open play area. There's going to be, I guess you'd call it like the big souvenir shop that had a bunch of like unique items to the show were going to be there. Just a whole variety of things that are going to be happening. It really is a true magic convention, which is kind of cool that those are even a thing. But one of the things that came up is a lot of people didn't know that the Pro Tour was going to be happening at the event. And they only found out because, like, credit to Wizards, they're at least promoting it. So people were getting it in emails and seeing it on socials or whatever over the past few days. And it's interesting because on the one hand, it's like, okay, should we be promoting this harder? What's the the value to the Pro Tour? How is it being viewed? Like, I, I don't know you know, all those answers. I would say, I would think, yeah, we should, I mean, like, you, you and I talk about magic as part of our living, at least if we don't know, I can't imagine, you know, people who aren't in the Twitter sphere. know. Oh, well, see, I, I knew just cause I remember the announcement of just basically they're going to be attached to every magic con. So I, that, that's how I knew, but I think it's one of those things though, that, I would guess over the next, assuming they stick with this plan for at least two years, I think we'll start accepting that this is part of it. Because I feel, and this is rough memory, but I feel like in the beginning when we started trying to do Magic Fest over doing like Pro Tour weekends, it took people a while to remember that like, oh yeah, there's going to be a Grand Prix and a Pro Tour at this Magic Fest thing or whatever. and people kind of came around to it. So I feel like it's going to be some of the same for MagicCon, but we'll see. Because I, my understanding is we're still going to have a little bit of confusion anyway, because we're still going to have Command Fest, I think, are going to happen again this year. Because last year, if I remember right, they were between, oh my gosh, was it April and July? I think they held however many it was, like 15 Magic Fest or something in various places. And those are not Magic Cons. However, in the middle of all the Magic Fest, I believe there is going to be a Magic Con or something. And then we also have the DreamHack events, at least here in the States. Other companies are running them elsewhere. But there's the DreamHack events that are also going to have the large RC or not, whatever, the regional qualifiers or whatever they call them that will qualify you for the Pro Tour. Right, so those things are going to happen. Uh, what's the format for this? Because I said I had do nothing about this happening at MagicCon. Uh, I'd have to go back and look. I because I, I remember I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I do remember touching base on it with one of the other uh, creators that qualified. But yeah, it's 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 interesting overall because we're we're just in a space where there's going to be a lot of magic events, and. I'm just this, looking like because because arena is open on my machine now. I'm trying to see if there's even anything in here that mentions it. Uh, it, I think the if they do it like last time in the arena client, you'll start seeing those on Thursday for the event happening over the weekend. 
which kind of yeah, makes that, sense. That, I mean, that, that's cool if I want to watch it, but let's say yeah, I yeah, want to actually exactly. go to it. <laughs> well, the the problem is, if you want to go to it, you had to have already gotten a ticket for MagicCon. <laughs> like that's the thing because it's at the and, convention. I mean, I, if I knew there was going to be a pro event, <laughs> not that I probably would never. So not try to qualify as a pro tour currently, but I think some other people might have had they known about it. That's fair. I mean, I guess some people might go particularly for that. Though here, here's the other thing too that's always tough when we talk about this stuff, and I think it. I'm trying to word this in a way that I'm not like minimizing any of the players because i do think that every type of player is important to the overall ecosystem on some level but i think if you were a competitive player and you went to ptqs a lot and you were trying to qualify for the pro tour and all that when you spoke to those players they had a what's the best word like an amplified sense of importance for what their position really was within the sphere of business for magic. And I think that sometimes came through online as well, because the people who you're interacting with online are some of the most engaged people. You know, they are some of the most driven people, the people who would want to go to a PTQ or follow pro tour personalities or whatever. But like I've said before, you know, we have, individual personalities like the professor or game nights or hell even dudes like spice eight rack or whatever like that are much bigger than any magic pro has ever been i think yeah definitely social media has changed a lot of stuff you know content creation yes but even with that we have people who don't even know who those people are you know hell i professor just passed whatever eight hundred thousand subscribers or something yeah. And there's people that play Commander that have no idea Game Nights exists. And they're like the premier channel for Commander, right? So it's tough also to like want to go to Wizards like, oh, y'all need to spend this much more money. We got to build up the Pro Tour. We got to make the Pro Tour bigger. Uh, do we, though? Well, I mean, how much money would because arenas uh, arenas their thing? So they would have to pay themselves for ads. Just you put a graphic in there that says, you know, hey, here's a thing happening. <laughs> sure, but the other hand is like, if MagicCon's already going to sell out, what's the benefit? Well, yeah, I guess there's. And- you know what I'm saying? Because they had a thing just recently, and they were like, hey, if you want to get tickets, Saturday tickets are almost gone. Like we're almost out of tickets, right? So if it's going to sell out, like, what are we spending money? And I'm not saying this to say, like, don't support the Pro Tour or whatever, but, like, I don't know what the monetary return is on it, other than the PR aspect of saying, hey, here is something you can aspire to, right? Like, here is a way we're giving away $2 million this year or whatever to players or whatever the number is, right? There's something to that, but, like, I just don't 100% know what it is. And it's tough when people say, oh, so you just don't think they should support it? I'm like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, I don't... Like, you're asking to be the showcase and be the center of attention when, hell, better than 90% of the players of the game are not going to care. Now, that 10% or whatever probably really cares 
you know, and they do need some attention and deserve some attention. But this also comes back to like the whole thing on people going, oh, but Wizards should do this, that, and the other for limited and for draft or whatever. When I'm like, yeah, but the majority of people who play Magic don't don't play limited, except for at pre-releases. Like, I'm not saying you should never get anything for limited play or whatever, but to be mad at Wizard for not prioritizing it, I'm like, I, they see the numbers too. They know where their bread is buttered. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, I, I don't know the best way to, and again, it's their job. They have people to figure that out. They're running the numbers constantly. Like, I can tell you, I've seen them. It's, it's pretty absurd, the scale difference, honestly. But it's not close. I, I've told somebody that before and they didn't believe me. But like, and I get it. If you go to a store where all y'all do is draft or whatever and play cube and like you can't imagine a world where people don't play limited play in some way. Right. But there are literally tons of players that the only limited they'll play is pre-releases. They will show up, they'll play a pre-release, they'll buy their product. They might show up to an FNM or two headed giant thing or something, whatever, maybe along the way. But that's about it. They don't really play limited again until the next pre-release. That's literally a thing. And the same thing kind of comes for the Pro Tour. Like, most of the time, people that cared about the Pro Tour, they were following it so they could get the latest deck list or whatever. So they could go to their tournaments, you know? And to some extent, this is somewhat connected, right? Like, until Wizards has their new tournament system really going... I don't know how much it benefits them to prom- over-promote the pro circuit or whatever we're calling the pro tour, pro players tour. I don't know. It's still the PT. I don't remember what we call it. I'm going to call it the pro tour. But because right now we're just now getting back to where people are starting to go to local stores and tournaments fairly regularly now. We're starting to see people talk about the RCQs and trying to qualify for bigger things. I'm starting to see some more so- posts on socials. So, like, we're starting to get back in that mindset. But I think it's a combination of, you know, the major changes they did to the Pro Tour two or three times leading into the pandemic. Yeah. Then the pandemic hit. People quit playing competitively. They quit going to store because we just couldn't. You know, you weren't going to have any worldwide events. So, Worlds wasn't really a thing. They did the thing online, and that was all right. But, yeah, we're just getting back into that system. And I don't think any of us really know 100% what it needs to look like right now. I'm scared to ask about coverage. <laughs> coverage, from what I understand, is happening. Okay, that's, that's good. I, I feel like I saw that posted somewhere. And I can tell you for at least the San Diego Dream Hack, that big qualifier for the Pro Tour, whatever we call those events, there will be coverage because I've been talking to some people to possibly participate on that. So there's at least a couple of events coming up that will have coverage. So that message has at least gotten through and enough that I think they're like, okay, if we're going to do it, we also want people to be able to see it. That makes sense. Right. We're at least because I, I, because I honestly think we should have had coverage the whole time. I mean, I know there's an expense, but it's still fairly small on the grand scheme of things to make sure it's at least visible. I somewhat understand when you, you knew the world state of the world and you're kind of just, maintaining the program to get through to the next phase. I get it, but I would have rather there just been coverage the whole time. It feels like at least now people are going like, yeah, enough people want coverage that we should probably just do it. I don't even know if the powers that be necessarily believe it's the right move right now, but I think they at least go, 
eh, enough people are going to keep bugging us for it. We should just do it. You know, and, I, and I'm all right with that. I, I think that's fine. But yeah, I, there'll definitely be some stuff to talk about. I will be watching some of it. I'll be critiquing it a little bit. I'll have some more to say about it next week, uh, having been on site. Because there were some things I thought weren't done well in Vegas. But I'm also willing to cut some slack because I was like the first time they were trying it in that environment. And it was the first time Reed Pop had been involved with any type of involvement with a magic large championship level event. So we'll see what the learnings were and what they've changed over, you know, because I guess what was the last one in, in November or something? So or October? It was a while ago. Yeah, it was October, because I think it was around Halloween weekend. So you know, four months difference. We'll see what that does for this particular event. But it, it, it's definitely something I think is worth keeping on our radar and talking about for sure. But yeah, uh, there was something you found out last minute that Twitter's going to start doing. Or hey, actually, hey, hey. Twitch. <laughs> uh, no, it's Twitter. Okay. Hey, 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 see weed ads on Twitter every day or maybe or n- not yet, but I guess coming soon, you'll be, you'll see a lot more cannabis and cannabis adjacent ads on Twitter. Man, RIP Nate dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> man, that dude was the greatest like hype man, like just chorus dude, like in the history of rap, probably. Oh, Definitely. But yeah, so so what is this about Twitter having cannabis ads? They apparently will be, uh, unless people like Meta and TikTok change their policy, they'll be the most lenient in terms of having cannabis ads. I mentioned Facebook, Instagram, TikTok uh, really have some have a lot more restrictions around that. As in for on Meta, apparently you can promote hemp depending on which geographic uh, area you they, they track you as being in. But you can't talk about THC or CBD product. Uh, TikTok won't even let you have like public service announcements, you know, just because for even like legal medicinal type cannabis or anything like that. So, yeah, apparently so we know uh, Twitter's trying to figure out ways to get money and prove that uh, they somewhat know what they're doing. So I guess that's probably and I, we were talking about this before the show started. Like, I mean, it's, you know. There's billboards for weed. It just even in, even in extremely conservative Texas, it's not hard to figure out, you know, where you can legally buy weed. Oh, dude, like I've been saying, like once you started seeing the ads in conservative states, and you started seeing Republicans come to the table of like, man, eh, we should probably legalize weed. I'm like, yep, that's it. Like yeah. you've turned the corner. Like there will be no going back now. <laughs> There like, will be some rules, like you won't be able to target anybody under 21, obviously. No appealing to minors, and they said you can't really, uh, you, you basically, none of your ads can say, hey, this will this will improve your health, you know. They you know would, that, heck, that's better uh, advertised regulations than they've got for most medicines out there. This is interesting to me because, and, and I'm not well versed in the business of cannabis, but my understanding was that a lot of them there was already restrictions on how you can even handle your money or whatever, which, and actually funny thing, side note, I was watching an interview on, there's a podcast called all the smoke with, which actually isn't about weed, just all the smoke being the phrase. 
but it's with two, on it. Opportunity missed. All yeah, it's with two ex basketball players, like Matt Barnes and another guy. Okay, but they were interviewing John Sally, and John Sally, if I remember right, owns part of a cannabis company in Detroit, where he played a lot of ball professionally. Yeah, but the cannabis company actually owns. Is it? It's a either a distribution company. I think is what it is. They own some other company, so that they can actually do normal business. Because there's a lot of places by state laws or whatever you can't do certain types of banking or whatever with a cannabis company or whatever, right? But your normal business of being a distributor or whatever can do normal business. <laughs> But they happen to own a cannabis company that just so happens to use that distribution company for distribution. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so that's why I find it amusing because there's companies having to go through those extra steps. And I don't know, like, how would you take online orders for some of them? Because I because I know even up here in the Pacific Northwest. There were some spots that like they just had they had either an ATM in their facility you could just use and get cash out of or you could actually use Bitcoin or whatever, you know, crypto to make a purchase. But you couldn't use a regular just debit card through a machine. So like I I don't know. Like it's interesting. Maybe that's some changing. I don't know. I haven't kept up with it. So maybe that's changing in some states. But I think it's cool. That it's opening in up. their in their blog post announcing this, they mentioned that they obviously have done you know all the research and what people are talking about. And they said they actually uh actually I guess have more conversation on cannabis than they do around pets, cooking, food, and beverage. So I guess hey now maybe once they uh have some more cannabis ads, the the, the fast food numbers will go up. Domino effect. Shoot, Jack in the Box already knows where their target market is. I love that they had those commercials where they basically didn't say what it was for, but said what it was oh, for. Dude. Every time I see one of those crazy new products from Jack in the Box, I'm like, y'all know damn well who you're marketing to. Right. Like they are not even trying to be secretive about it. But yeah, I don't like I will say this for for people who who are against cannabis or whatever. And I'll be honest, I don't smoke it, whatever. I never have just smoke in my lungs or whatever in general just isn't pleasant. I have I have done a couple of edibles though just to try it out. Didn't have much effect on me oddly, so I just don't care to do them. But talking to people who have experienced it for the first time, whether that's some level of just cannabis, THC, whatever, they really do have positive medicinal value. And Hell, matter of fact, in that same interview with John Sally, he was saying one of the first times, which is why he even got invested in one. He said one of the first times was when he was in, I think it's in Sacramento. And he said he took some. And then like the next day, he was just like, he actually had the thought of, dude, if I'd been doing this for the last 10 years, I probably could have played ball for another five to eight years. Like he said, his body felt better. His joints felt better. And I was just like, man, that's crazy. You know, and and I've talked to local people. Like you can go into a grocery store here, and they'll have a display of just like THC, whatever or whatever, you know, and ointments and and salves or whatever, like the old people would say, right? And people use them, and they work. So I mean, it's cool that we're actually starting to make this more common. And again, it takes it off the street. It takes it out of the hand of 
drug dealers, you know, whatever. So, hey, tax it and make money on it. And I don't really want to say it. Oh, boy. But at least Elon Musk is trying to do something creative and different here. Like, you're scrambling to try to find some money. Because <laughs> yeah. he messed up. And it's like, this is one way to make some decent money. Because you know a lot of those cannabis companies are going to, you know, because they have limited opportunity to advertise, they're going to pay whatever to be part of it. So, good job. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, like again, just give yeah, me credit. We've had, we've, yeah, we've had relatively few chances to say good job to anything Twitter related in a while. But yeah, that does seem like that's just, that. that's where, and like, like I said, I've not, uh, I've not partaken in any of the weed products either but i heard i remember i heard billy crystal say you know he was really upset about his or he, i guess he's very claustrophobic so he was upset about getting an mri so somebody suggested that he have an edible he said it really really kind of helped him get through that experience so yeah i will say this like i'm in the middle of my finishing my first month of experimenting with the twitter blue thing my plan is to try to go 60 days and then i'll do a full write-up and video and stuff but if this cannabis promotion ad campaign, whatever works, there is probably a concern that they're going to jam even more ads on Twitter. And that would be a concern because I could see where Musk goes like, Hey, this is helping our bottom line. We recovered like 3% of whatever. And like, well, what if we ran more ads? Could we get that to 5% or, you know, and I could see that being a thing. So we would have to keep an eye on that because, you know, Heaven forbid Twitter become even less usable. But <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It's something I'll definitely definitely be tracking. I, did they say when those are gonna start? Um let's see, I'm looking now. Cause overall it's, go ahead. Yeah, I don't I don't see where it says a specific date, so I guess we'll okay. just <laughs> no worry. I was just curious to something to like put on my calendar and start tracking like everything else. Because I'm slowly becoming a numbers nerd when it comes to content. But yeah, let's wrap things up and talk about some stuff here at the dinner table. Because I think we have a pretty good topic here. And I think as we move forward, content creation is going to become more plentiful, not less. You know, I was talking with somebody the other day about what the world looks like as far as advertising and stuff coming. It was coming off the Super Bowl, right? Because yeah. by the way, this year had a bunch of bad Super Bowl ads. They were, they were real bad. And what I mean by bad is not even just like production quality. Some of them were just awkward. Some of them were, uh, most of them weren't memorable. You know, even the ones I can remember, I can't remember the products for most of them. Like, so and I think the low the low end of the spin this year, I think, was like five point eight million or something. Like it was some big old number for like thirty seconds. Well, a lot of companies are not going to want to pay that. Hell, Mr. Beast did a commercial, and then when he found out it was going to be like for what he wanted, it was going to be like seven million dollars. He was like, "F it, I'll just put my commercial out online." Yeah, you know, even for him, a dude who makes piles of money, the dude who literally gives money away and does surgeries for blind people or whatever. He's like, nah, seven million is too much, you know? So that, that's a, that's a tough thing for a lot of people. I think you're going to have a lot of people going to social media and 
it makes sense, right? Because it's even more targeted. Because uh, now, <laughs> admittedly, the Tubi commercial apparently ended relationships. Like, so anybody wasn't watching the Super Bowl, they had a commercial where Tubi is, a, is another streaming service. So they had their ad earlier in like, early in the second quarter. But then they had one that was like, I want to say just after halftime, maybe like the second commercial break after the half. And it did this whole thing where, you know, like when you use, say, like Netflix or Hulu or whatever, and you like flip through the the things that are available and whatever and the little yeah. pop ups. It was doing that like you were on to be service. Oh, wow. And dude, there's footage out there from people like it because, you know, people at the bar were like yelling, like, who's changing the channel and blah, blah, because it just popped up. It was like went to commercial break and that was the thing that popped up. So it looks like it interrupted the football game. Oh boy. You know, which is, to be fair, a brilliant commercial because everybody remembers Tubi now. Well, yeah. Now, I, I don't know if they want to give Tubi any money. <laughs> Although, I think, but, I, was like, I think Tubi's a free service. But, dude, there was, like, people like people were posting on Reddit and on Twitter. Like, they were getting yelled at by their spouse because they thought they were messing with the remote. Like, it was just, like, crazy stuff. So, there is something to be said for that. But the reality is... Of the people watching the commercial or watching the game, how many of them were interested in a new streaming service or the shows that you might special in on your service or whatever? You don't know any of that. You're just trying to put it in front of the maximum number of people. Whereas instead of them spending, let's say they spent $6 million or whatever, could they have taken $1 million, paid, hell, maybe even 10 creators, $100K each, right? And targeted specific audiences for the content that they're backing, right? Let's say you're Comedy Central and you specialize in doing like, obviously the Comedy Central stand-up specials and whatever, right? Or whatever. Hell, actually, as it turns out, Netflix is the biggest producer of comedy stuff right now. So would it be more in Netflix interest instead of paying for big national ads to go to individual creators and go like, okay, you have a whole community based around comedy. You do a bunch of funny skits or whatever and start spending your money that way. But with that, you start having to ask, okay, and us being creators, right? We obviously need to pay our bills. And if those came through, we would absolutely take them. Right. You know, hell, I'd, I'd take it at 10K. You ain't got to get 100K, <laughs> like, for real. But the question becomes, what do we or other people in social media, but we'll talk about ourselves, like, what do creators owe their audiences? And I think that that's an interesting thing as we move forward in the world, right? Because I'm very transparent with my audience, right? I do stuff a certain way. I'm targeting certain things. I'm trying to get certain sponsors. And I'm pretty public when people ask me about it. So I don't I don't have a concern of my audience knowing I'm making money. Like, that was understood from day one, right? This is why I'm doing it. This is what I'm hoping for. Now, don't be wrong. I'm still trying to educate people on things and still entertain and do it. And that's that's the bottom line, because if I'm not doing that, the rest of the money is not going to follow. And I understand that. But I've also told people like, hey, if these opportunities come up, I'm probably going to take one of them. So if you see an ad on a thing or you see me putting somebody's logo on my shirt or me wearing a hat with something or whatever, don't be shocked. Right. Because that's that's just part of the plan. But. Should like because I've seen people still talk about like a creator being a sellout or whatever. 
Like, at what level are they really a sellout? Because to me, I would only call somebody a sellout if they took money and changed their messaging. Right? Now, I don't know how you define that. But for me, if you're just taking money to do a thing and you still it's a thing you would promote or use or whatever anyway, like, you're just getting paid. But if I'm sitting here telling you, oh, we support women's rights and this, that, and the other, and then, I don't know, some... Andrew Tate back business wants to drop 20 K on me. And all of a sudden I'm like, y'all need to go check out this website. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that would be... I would be a sellout. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, I don't know. How do you feel about it? Like, cause I don't know how transparent y'all are as far as your family channel with your audience. Cause y'all have definitely a whole different audience than I would. I, mean, I, th- I believe that YouTube require you to say if something, if you've been paid to do something. Well, yeah. You have to put I, it I know that you have probably an ad in the video. Yeah. 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 I know I don't know how well they enforce it, but I mean I know the rule exists. So yeah, we try to let. And usually, in addition to that, is usually pretty obvious when you're talking about something that you've been sponsored by. Yeah, usually. And you know, I make merchandise and different things, so like it, it's not a secret, you know. But I think we already have a world where people feel like they can dictate people's content. You know, like, well, I don't like this thing. Why are you, why do you like this thing? Like, why, why are you talking about this? Like you, whatever. Right. And I've said before, are, it's okay to critique somebody's content. You know, this was good, bad, whatever, for whatever reason, but to try to try to bully the person into making content you want it to be versus what it is, is probably when you're over the line. Yeah, because we're all going to look at our numbers, and if something's not, you know, if even if it's something we enjoy talking about, if nobody else wants to hear about it, we're not going to do it. That's just the way that works. Yeah, exactly. We talked about how you know your content. Maybe you thought we were talking. You were talking about what they like. We didn't know we were talking about grocery hauls. Then they took off. So I guess we're talking about grocery hauls. Yeah, exactly. You just find things sometimes, right? Like the, the audience comes around, and you're like, "Oh, this is what y'all like to hear about." Okay. Which for y'all is great because she's going to go shopping like once a week anyway. Right. <laughs> Especially, you know, as inflation gets out of pocket, anything that you do to help people save money. Yeah. And it sounds silly, but hey, if that's what people end up wanting to watch, it, it's cool. But yeah, I, I think we're going to have a lot of those questions as we move into the new world. I don't know how soon that's going to get here, but it feels like sooner rather than later. You know, I, I feel like we already see more companies promoting with individuals than we do i mean like for a while it was like hey try to sponsor a big festival or event or something right and those kind of either some went away or some just have like the super high-end sponsors now right it's whatever music fest sponsored by at&t or whatever it is so there's not even a room for some of the small to mid-size companies anyway you know because i talked to before like Somebody like Me Undies, which is a popular online brand, like they're not going to be able to afford something like that in a lot of cases. Yeah. But they can afford promoting with different creators. So that's going to be definitely a, a bigger part of the scene as we move on. And I think some of the ads, you know, like I think the Super Bowl is still probably the best thing for when you want the ad to be like what they did with M&M's. Yeah. The whole, you know, it was obvious this is a publicity stunt. So, yeah, for publicity stunt. You want the the big payoff during the Super Bowl because you know everybody watches that, and there there are a million you know, people that cover cover. Hey, these are the coolest ads. Like we just did a countdown on Tilt Magazine, one of your top ten best 
worst Super Bowl ads, you know, and obviously they wanted, you know, because of the whole spoke, I can't even believe I'm saying this, the spokes candy controversy. I can't believe that was a thing, but it was. So they, they kind of hey, caught the Tucker Carlson was mad because he couldn't fantasize over the green Eminem wearing high heels anymore. Yeah. Like he said that on national TV <coughs> that right. he, he was mad because he was no longer being allowed to fantasize about the green Eminem. That man, that man really loves his chocolate. I don't know what to tell you. That's that's just wild. Like the fact that you even admit to that on national TV, like, and the purple Eminem is plus size. Can you believe that? Yeah, exactly. Like what? <laughs> but by the way, now that I'm thinking about it. Purple was also Barney and Grimace. And like, why is purple the big one? I bet, you know, and this is my 10 cent psych- psychology, psychiatry. That's how, that's how uh, qualified I don't know which is which. Uh, b- back in the day, you know, purple was a symbol. Purple is still can be, still be associated with royalty. That's why, like, a lot of the wrestlers who used their, the king as their gimmick yeah, wear for purple. Sure. And back in the day, you know, you could say if you were heavy, that meant you could afford to eat. So being heavy was actually a status. That is symbol. true. That is true. Maybe, maybe there's something there. That, that's a good point. It's just funny when you said that. I thought started thinking about other things that were purple, and I'm like, yeah, a lot of big mascots are purple. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it's a thing, but yeah, I don't know. I I think this is something that's that's worth really thinking about, though, especially from the creator side. Is just where does all this sit going forward? How many sponsors or ads are too many? You know, like I don't because like I think I have an imaginary number in my head of like I want a sponsor in a couple of different categories, but I only want so many of different certain sizes just, and honestly, just for me, just for bandwidth, right? Like I could only do so much to like, I don't want partnerships just giving me money. I want to be able to do my part to uphold the agreement for the money they're giving me. Yeah. You know, and I can only do so much. So that that's kind of where my mindset would be, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because right now the issue you have is, I don't think people realize the shows like friends made a ton of money because they were the thing to advertise on, on TV. Yeah. They came in on Thursday, right before all the big movie released on a Friday. And at one point the entire cast of friends was getting a million dollars an episode. Like that's how much money was coming into that damn show. They did an episode. I believe it's to promote the movie father's day with Billy Crystal and uh, Robin Williams. The whole episode was essentially a commercial for Father's Day because mm-hmm. none of them had ever been on that show before. I don't think ever appeared after that. It was blatantly obvious. They just did a whole. Yeah. All, almost like how back in the day, you know, He-Man, Transformers. It was blatantly obvious what they were trying to sell you. Well, and that's the thing, right? But because we have all these different streaming services now, those opportunities are fewer and farther between. Because a lot of the commercials you see on the streaming service are for other things within the network. Yeah. Like, occasionally you'll see, like, there'll still be, like, a Snickers ad or something or whatever. And I'm sure those don't cost nearly as much. But the question becomes, how many people are you getting? How many people are sitting through them, right? Because we're also in that world where people are starting to have the $5 more a month package or whatever, so you don't have to deal with commercials. Yeah. So... Now you don't you're gonna lose those opportunities as a promoter. So it's just like, man, it's well then you do product placement in the show. 
Right. Oh, Stranger yeah, yeah. Things is perfect for that because it's that that jolt of 1980s nostalgia. Dude, did you ever see the TV show Chuck? Uh, a couple of times. I'm familiar. Oh with man, it. like that had the best product placement. Cause like, first off, he worked at the Buy More, which looked very much like a Best Buy on the inside. Yeah. But a lot of times you would just see them just eating Subway. Like yeah. they would stop at a subway, they were unwrapping the Subway sandwich, they were holding a Subway cup. Like, yeah. and there was never like eat at Subway, but there was just, hey, they're having a meal. It happens to be Subway sandwiches, right? Because, I mean, it's it's realistic. Some people working it was essentially Best Buy. There's, if you're in any retail building, there's probably a Subway next door because oh, yeah. they're everywhere. They did that in 24 also. I believe yeah. he, he like was driving Dodge trucks. And I even think the phones they used were branded. I don't remember if they were Samsung or Apple, but like they were using a certain type of phone that everybody had too. So yeah, product placement definitely be- can become bigger in the future for sure. Cause we've only like to- tapped the surface on that. Cause to some extent, you know, it's world building. If they say they're eating it, you know, like a uh, uh, sandwich guy. Okay. You know, they made that up. Yeah. <laughs> and- you say Burger King, okay, yeah, yeah, I eat a Burger King. I now I can relate to these characters. And you know, to be fair, you are starting to see more product placement for creators. Yeah. Right? People are being more intentional about, hey, you can see the microphone that I'm using when I'm online, mm-hmm. right? Like you can see this shot of one of my monitors, right? When even for magic players, it's like look at the type of playmat I'm using, right? Like People are people are doing a lot to start start doing that already. So yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to think about. I, you know, because it's kind of subtle, but it's starting to ramp up. I think as more and more companies are looking for avenues to reach their targeted audiences, and the price of some of these, you know, like I'm saying, like the Super Bowl or Wimbledon or the Players Tour for golf or whatever, like the prices are getting so high yeah. to advertise, especially you know when you're talking about recession level stuff like you have to be more intentional with how you're spending your dollars so it would not surprise me if is as you grow as a creator more companies are going to come knocking but all right brian what's about where they can find you on the social media machines all right i am brian sonic on uh twitter youtube our family channel on youtube is alan's ever after and uh you can read uh my some of my writings and rantings over at tiltmagazine.com and the Video game part of that is GoombaStomp.com, and I'm over there, too. And you can find me just about everywhere at Power Dragon, P-O-W-R-D-R-A-G-N. And hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, you can catch me at MagicCon Philly and a few other things that will be coming up we'll be talking about. But, as always, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Please remember to take care of yourself and your family. And most importantly, remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other.